Listener Production. So imagine not having to pull your phone out of your pocket. You don't even have to talk to Siri or Alexa. You can control your devices with your thoughts. Now, it sounds like something out of a sci-fi film, but it seems like the future is almost here, thanks to an Australian tech company. We can go in and we can look for these signals where someone's intentionally trying to move an arm or intentionally trying to move a foot. And sure, their foot or their arm's not moving, but the brain signal's the same and we can capture that. So in today's briefing, an amazing Australian invention that lets you type using your mind and you'll find out that it actually started by trying to help disabled people. First, today's headlines with Rihanna Patrick. It is Friday the 23rd of September. Federal Parliament will be dominated by condolences motions today following yesterday's National Day of Mourning for the Queen. And the Greens aren't happy because it's holding up legislation on the federal integrity body. It was an unambiguous promise in the election campaign to have it legislated by the end of 2022. And and we're now seeing the Prime Minister trying to backtrack on that. Well, we're going to hold them to that promise. Yeah, so that point from the Greens comes after... A lot of uh, anti-monarchy protests yesterday across the country. During the National Day of Mourning, hundreds took to the streets in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Canberra. Yeah, that audio is from Channel 9. So protesters set fire to the Australian flag, doused themselves in mock blood in a series of rallies. And one person involved was Green Senator Lydia Thorpe. Um, She said the Crown had blood on its hands and had blood on her hands yesterday at a rally at Flinders Station, Melbourne. Um, Rana, what did you make of the protests yesterday? Yeah, look, I um, always expected that there would be. Um, I know... um actually from yesterday because I was in a lot of meetings yesterday that there was still a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people working yesterday as well Mm. um, and many who did not take the day off. Um, I was interested though to see that the Governor-General David Hurley um, acknowledged that the death of the Queen um, had prompted a range of reactions and he actually I think said something along the lines of that the nation must complete its reconciliation journey. So I don't don't think I've ever heard that from a Governor-General coming Mm. out um, and saying something, um, you know, off the back of, of the protests that were happening, um, which I found quite interesting. And I guess it goes to that conversation we were having last week, Tom, where we were talking about um, where those other voices were in mm. the in the bigger media conversation around all of this. Yeah, well, it does seem um, people are getting to express their views. And I think that shows that we are a relatively open society when it comes to those conversations. Um, I mean, there are limits, of course, but yeah, I think that's been relatively healthy. Um, it was an interesting public holiday yesterday. I enjoyed the day off, but I, again, I really think the day off needed to be around the funeral. If the, if the day off really was to kind of stop and, and think about the Queen, you know, given that it happened a few days after the funeral, I think people just sort of got on with their lives and got a few extra chores done and enjoyed the day off. Thousands of Russians are fleeing their country after President Vladimir Putin announced the largest conscription since World War II. This decision was absolutely essential. And the main aim is of freeing all the territories of Donbass. Yeah, that's Vladimir Putin trying to convince his citizens that they should be called up for this fight. He's aiming to gather up to 300,000 soldiers that will be drawn from their reservists. Um, that's in that continued fight in Ukraine. And 
Yeah, the response from many Russians has been to get the hell out of there. There's been queues of cars lining up um, heading to Finland and Georgia. And flights out of Russia have been selling out, many heading to Serbia, Armenia, Turkey. Um, These are countries where Russians can enter without a visa. Yeah, and how to leave Russia is one of the most popular questions on Google in the country right now. And there are also protests underway, but authorities have arrested at least 1,300 of them overnight. Yeah, so this all comes after Putin doubled down, um, including a threat of nuclear war. If there is a threat to the territorial integrity of our country and for protecting our people, we will certainly use all the means available to us. And I'm not bluffing. Yeah, his words have been condemned by the international community at the UN's General Assembly, which is currently meeting in New York at the moment. Yeah, I think on one hand, it's concerning that um, Putin is upping the rhetoric. On the other hand, I think he just sounds really desperate and he, he might be hitting a point where he starts to lose a lot more internal support. Yeah, I mean, the Kremlin's already come out and said that the reports of this exodus has been exaggerated. Um, Russian news organisations have already reported that 10,000 people have already volunteered to fight. Uh, And then there are some of those EU countries watching all of this, um, like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, even Poland, have started turning away Russians and um, considering, you know, looking at um, their border crossings. So, I guess it's one of those things of who do you believe um, and also one where clearly if people are leaving, um, maybe they're not interested in signing up. Optus has been hacked, potentially compromising up to 10 million customers. And I guess with the numbers that high, this will be affecting some of you in the briefing community. So millions of current and former customers may have had their dates of birth, email addresses, phone numbers stolen, some of them even having their passport and driver's licenses stolen. We have a very committed uh, cyber team who is doing everything they can to identify the scope and scale. Yeah, that's Optus CEO Kelly Bayer, Ross Marin on the ABC. And the nation's top spies at the Australian Signals Directorate are working with the telco to trace who's responsible. And cybersecurity experts are warning all the customers involved to exercise caution because there's a high risk their data would be sold on the dark web to criminals seeking to obtain credit in their name. That's pretty scary. Um, at this stage, we don't know who carried out the attack, although they're believed to be offshore. Former Hawthorne coaches Chris Fagan and Alistair Clarkson have both denied any wrongdoing after allegations about the Hawks' treatment of Indigenous players. The statements come following an external review into the club which investigated the treatment of its Indigenous players this year. So three First Nations families have alleged that Clarkson and Fagan intimidated and separated Indigenous players from their families And probably the most horrific detail in this whole thing is the player who was told that his partner should terminate her pregnancy for the sake of his career. Yeah, an independent review examining the historical claims made against the club has been launched by the AFL and the AFL is now working with the affected players on the makeup of an independent panel. I hope we will be able to get sign-off certainly before the grand final. That's AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin there. So the allegations have left a... A real stain on the game right as it heads into its grand final, Swans v Geelong on the weekend. Um, Yeah, how have you felt about this story, Rihanna? I was absolutely gobsmacked. I was driving along in my car listening to radio news and audibly gasped when I heard that Mm. story. And I just thought, this is... (laughs) 
after everything that we've heard and after all the reviews that have been done, to hear this kind of information where the life of an Indigenous player to the extent of what they were told that, that you know, they should separate from their partner and that their partner um, should consider terminating a pregnancy, I couldn't believe that that was actually what I was hearing. Because mm. otherwise the AFL has been seen as a bit of a champion of Indigenous players, right? Well, it has, but I guess, you know, most of us are still watching what has come from that Do Better report that Professor Larissa Barant and Professor Lyndon Coombs uh, did. And that review, 12-month review, was only just released in March earlier this year, which showed that there are gains being made. But I guess it's this case of we keep hearing these stories, and I think this is probably the worst that we've heard mm. so far. Yeah. So, so when does it stop? Where, when do we start to see these stories stop coming out in the media? Is my question. And so, does that kind of um, ruin the grand final in a way for you, knowing this stuff has been happening? Oh, uh, it ruins my and any attempt for me to even get into AFL at this stage. I'll be honest. Mm. Um, I have never really been an AFL follower. Um, I have had friends who have and who have sort of, when they've talked me through the game, I've, I've understood it a lot more than I have in the past. It's it's not a game that my family really follows or watches, but this really has, you know, all of this leading up to what we heard um, this week has really not really encouraged me to even bother really getting into AFL at this stage. Yeah, well, there is a bit of a calendar clash. We've got the bladders low on Saturday afternoon as well. So we need you fully on deck for that. That's true, and that's probably where my allegiances are more stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we keep losing. Okay, in just a moment, Antoinette Latouf and I will explore this new thought-controlled technology. Imagine you could control digital devices using just the power of thought. Well, it's a little more complex than that, but it would be aided by an implantable brain-computer interface that transmits these signals. There have been some promising trials both here and in New York where, in a world first, people who are severely paralysed have been implanted with this new brain-computer technology. And now 20 patients in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and the Gold Coast are also getting on board. And Professor Nicholas Opie is a biomedical engineer and he's also the co-founder of this new technology, which is called the Stentrode Implant. Professor Nick, um, how exactly does it work? Hi, great to be here. So the technology is designed for people with severe paralysis. Uh, it's a, a brain-computer interface which takes information from the brain when they're th their thoughts and it allows people who can't move their arms or can't talk to control computers or other assistive technology just by thinking about it. And, and this implant looks very different to other brain-computer interfaces or BCIs. Um, what did the technology look like before? Before we came along, the technology required uh, removal of the skull and penetration of electrodes that sort of looked like knitting needles into the brain itself. Uh, this is obviously dangerous. Um, you, can, you can picture the surgical complications that would have happened through, through a procedure like this. So we, we want to avoid that and we wanted to access the brain without removing the skull and without putting any sort of nails or needles into the brain itself. And so we came up with a, a technology that's called the Stentrode, which can go through blood vessels through the, um, a small injection in the neck. And so you don't 
interact or interface with the brain or touch it or damage it in any way. It's, it's made on a self-expanding lattice. It's very small, a couple of millimetres, and then it expands to put the sensors uh, on the outside of the blood vessel to, to record the, the brain signals. So, Dr. Nick, you had to create a dictionary of the brain. How did you go about mapping the brain to do that? Uh, a lot of work had been done before we came along um, by, by other very clever people looking at which parts of the brain controlled which parts of the body. Uh, and so the brain has a, has a map, and so there's a part that becomes more active or controls your left hand, there's a part that controls your right foot and, and so forth. And so we use this as a guide. And as we're getting into the brain and, and we're recording this information, we can we can help write this this dictionary and write this map and uh, and get better resolution on which parts of the brain really do control what parts of the body and and use that for people who who might not have limbs or might not be able to control them because of spinal cord injury or other disease. And when you're creating that that dictionary, what did you find about, I mean, if someone has paralysis, they're still sending that message, but is that uh, a message that you see also, is that a common brain message that we all have? Yeah, so a, a lot of these people, their brains work exactly the same as, as you or I or as they might have before they had their, their injury or disease. And it's really just the transmission of this signal from the brain to the to the limbs that's not working anymore. So we can go in and we can look for these signals where someone's intentionally trying to move an arm or intentionally trying to move a foot. And, and sure, their foot or their arm's not moving, but the brain signal's the same and we can capture that and bypass the damaged part of their body to allow them to directly interface with um, with digital technology. So in the people who've had this implant so far, I mean, what have you seen? What have we found? Yeah, it's been really amazing to watch and see people uh, sitting, facing a computer, not moving, but yet the, the cursor on the, the computer is moving and they're, and they're writing emails to their loved ones. They're writing text messages to their, to their friends and family. They're, they're able to go online and, and do shopping and, and banking and, and surf the internet and even turn on their TVs through you know, smart home control. So it's fascinating to see you know, what they've been able to do and uh, and it'll be even more fascinating to see what they can do in the in the future. And this is obviously an Aussie invention, but you had to go to the US to actually get it underway. So why is that? That's correct. It's an Aussie invention um, developed in Australia by Australians. Uh, the first participants that we had were all Australian and implanted in, in Victoria in the Royal Melbourne Hospital. We have gone overseas to the, to the US as well and and hoping to expand our technology reach, not only to people in Australia, but but to the US and, and globally. Nick, you've spoken there about the people who are using this already and how that's helped, but how else could this brain-computer interface, this BCI technology be used to benefit others? Yes, it's fascinating to see this technology develop. The, the things that these patients could do at the start compared to what they can do now is continuing to increase. Um, they can control the computers. They're now able to control smart homes. As more technology becomes available to be controlled by you know, wireless technology or by digital means, then there's no reason they can't control that as well. So I think we're, we're entering into a very exciting time. And, and then to be honest, I don't know where it's going to end. And I, I'm you know, really looking for guidance from the patients we have to tell us what benefits they would like out of it and, and then trying to provide it to them. And I'm, I'm interested in some of the ethical considerations that you had to to work through with this technology because it obviously uses AI, but it collects brain data essentially, right? And doesn't that isn't that potentially compromising mental privacy? I think the technology is 
is expanding at a rate that you know we're working very closely with with neuroethicists and, and other people to make sure that people's privacy is maintained and to help write the rule book on how brain data can be used and should be used. But yet, yeah, uh, there are no rules around this yet because it's it's a very new field. But we're hoping to to help um, make sure that we, we can contribute in a way that protects the patients in in the best possible means. But yes, we are recording brain data. Uh, it is intentional data, so it's only information coming out. It's only their their thoughts that are generated. And when I say thoughts, it's that sounds like a lot of stuff. <laughs> it, it is, and it's it's not really their thoughts. It's it's more sort of some electrical signal that we can then interpret to mean that they're trying to control a part of their body. So it's not like we have a a window into their into their brain where we can see a movie of what they're thinking. That's that's not the case. It's it's a way that we can see areas of the brain that are more active than other areas, and we can infer from that that they're trying to uh, perform a particular activity or movement. Nick, there are others developing this kind of neural interface and, and this kind of technology, but um, it must feel pretty good to have started trials ahead of Elon Musk, who is also doing a bit of work in this space with his thing called Neuralink. Yeah, look, there's a lot of groups coming out doing this, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, I think it's amazing that so many researchers and engineers and, and clinicians are spending their time to try and you know help people that are less fortunate through disease or, or damage. So, And there are a lot of patients that, that need this technology and, and I think that there's certainly room for, for numerous different answers to, to the same problem. So, you know, I'm excited to be working alongside some of these other people and I, I think the field's growing and uh, it's a really exciting time. And I know for researchers and innovators, you guys are playing a long game. I'm a really impatient person. <laughs> like when and when's it going to be available and what next? So where are you up to? Are you looking for more people to come forward, um, to be involved? And, and like, what's kind of your, your timeline, best case timeline? Yeah, great question. We, we always get asked this. Uh, and let me just tell your listeners that we're working as fast as we can, but also making sure that we're doing it in the safest and, and most meaningful way possible. We've completed our first Australian trial, which is the first step. We're now doing a second trial in Australia and the US. Uh, and so, you know, if you or your doctors or a loved one are, are interested, please reach out to your physician. They might be able to give you some some guidance on how you can be involved if that's of interest. Uh, and then, you know, once we have a certain number of, of participants, then you know, that's where we can apply to get approval for uh, for the device to be considered a, a medical product that can be um, prescribed by by certain doctors. So, uh, so we're hoping five years. We'd love it to be shorter, you know. And we're doing everything we can to get it out there as as soon as we can. But but like I said, we have to, you know, we're, we're very conscious of of the patients that we're working with, and we want to make sure that it's as safe and as as functional as it can possibly be. So, are you looking for more people to come forward um, to be part of the Aussie trials? And what sorts of like conditions and paralysis do they need to have? Like, what makes an, an ideal candidate for this study? The first study looked at patients with motor neuron disease. Uh, the next studies are broadening that out to to anyone that has severe paralysis, which means they might not be able to use their hands, they might not be able to talk, uh, and so they've lost the ability to communicate through either spoken word or by sending messages or emails or, or using their hands to type and use phones. So so they're the candidates that we're looking for in the next trial. And we think that irrespective of which disease or condition or, or you know, what led you to, to being paralyzed is sort of irrelevant for, for us engineers. The, we're looking at the output. And if you don't have the output, can't use your mouth, can't 
can't use her hands, then that's something that could be included. That's Professor Nicholas Opie there, world expert in neural interfaces, co-inventor and co-founder of Synchron Australia, which is the group who've developed the brain-to-text tech. Antoinette, I found this absolutely fascinating and particularly around the fact that they had to create this dictionary of the brain. Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing stuff. What I'm often so impressed with, and I get again, this speaks to how impatient I am, but the sort of the work and the time that goes into the developing something like this, like you've got to have an enormous amount of commitment and real rigour and, you know, have your eye on the big prize um, and on these advancements, even though it can take years and years and years. That's it for the Monday to Friday briefing. Now, tomorrow, Jamila's in your feed with the weekend briefing. Hey, Jamila, who have you got on this week? This week, I got the chance to speak to the absolutely incomparable Nakia Louie. You would all know who Nakia is. She is a First Nations Torres Strait Islander woman who is an actor. She is a writer. She is a comedian. She's one of the most impressive people working in the arts in Australia today and is just getting her break in the US too, which is just mind-blowing. But this conversation with Nakia is it's not what I expected. In July, she gave birth to her daughter, her first child, Lux, and a lot of our conversation explores motherhood and how it's changed Nakia and her outlook on the world and the way she wants to tell stories both now and into the future. It is a genuinely heartwarming beautiful episode from a very, very talented person. Nikia Louie tomorrow on The Briefing. Thanks for listening and thanks to the hardworking briefing team. Have a great weekend. Listener.